This is Carol Howard Merritt, and you're listening to Frequency.fm. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to the Frequency Podcast. I'm joined once again by my good pal Joe over in Portland. Uh, actually, you're probably not in Portland right now. You're in Gresham, are you not? Yeah, but for people who don't know, like the Portland metropolitan area, it's kind of like it's easier just to say Portland, you know? Right. It, it's kind of meaningless for me to say I live in PEI because what does that mean? I, I, I don't know. Because we we use short forms in Canada because we're we're a bit lazy, but where we're from stands for Prince Edward Island, um, which sounds English because we're actually a British colony. So it's pretty funny, but we're in Canada. So <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the fact that like when people ask me about who you are and where you live, I say PEI and you can see the glazed look that comes on their face when you can tell they have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I do is I throw out um, Anne of Green Gables and then about half of those people with the glazed look will go, aha, the other half will go, eh, I don't know. Well, and and the irony of that is Anna Green Gables is fiction. <laughs> I know. But there's certain people that I think believe it's real. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, here's the deal. I was in that to select one third that didn't know PEI and didn't know Anna Green Gables other than reference. In fact, the only reason I know anything about PEI is because a vendor that I've worked with in the past is based uh, in your in your town. Yeah. Um, yeah. And without going into details, because I can think of nothing less interesting than talking about software vendors. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, that's why we're that's why we're tuning into the uh, Frequency Podcast because I want to hear them talk about utility billing software. Let's talk. <laughs> Yeah. Well, let's talk podcast though, because you know it's really funny uh, when you look on on iTunes and things like that, or YouTube. Everyone's sort of switching over to a podcast model. Um, you know, there's um, who's the Christian comedian Tim Hawkins. Tim Hawkins. I don't know. Why. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, I've uh, he's one of the few Christian comedians I've actually seen in person. Okay. Well, not by choice. He just showed up. Anyway, <laughs> I see. Well, Tim Hawkins. You know, he usually has published videos, you know, snippets of, of comedy, you know, the, the best of stuff that he wants on his YouTube channel. And then all of a sudden he's come out with this like hour long um, video based multi-camera, you know, friends on the tour bus kind of podcast. And I think it's called Potty Mouth or something like that. It's really, you know, typical funny comedian stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it's funny that the new sort of um, news model if you want to call it that is podcasting. Like that's sort of the flavor or um, the layout that people are most resonating with sort of the back and forth conversation with interjection and interview. So, yeah, I, I think that comes a little bit from the, the on-demand nature of media these days. You know, uh, we, uh, because we have Netflix and YouTube and thing, you know, we're used to being able to say, this is what I want to watch, or this is what I want to listen to. Uh, and I want it on my schedule mm-hmm. um, versus, okay, it's eight o'clock. Let's all gather around the TV set and watch MASH. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's not working that way. So um, to even DVRs are um, 
like I just saw this in the news the other day. Netflix has more subscribers than there are DVRs in people's houses. Mm -hmm. So DVRs are becoming kind of passe as people are moving toward on demand. Hey, I'm going to watch the Goldbergs, but I don't want to watch it on 830 on Thursday. I'm going to watch it when I want to. Um, So I think that's where it's going. And so if you produce something and it's convenient for people to consume on their terms, that's fantastic. Yeah. Of course, you still have to make sure people are aware because when there's so much content, how do you uh, shine above? Which is, you know, that's an industry thing. And I've had that conversation with a lot of people who do podcasts. Um, but we're just glad folks are listening right now. Thank you. Yeah. And I was going to say even the the live nature of it is what I think is appealing for a guy like Tim Hawkins, who's, you know, yeah. in the professional caliber of comedian. Like, you know, you, you have to pay money to go see him. So to see him behind the scenes in the tour bus, I think, is is the allure. And then to see him interacting in an unscripted, unprepared way, I think, adds a new element to uh, let that the podcasting interview realm adds that pre-canned performances don't. Yeah, there's a human uh, humanity, let's say, to seeing him off the cuff, and you can see, you know, is he is he really clever, or is everything you know? Yeah, smoke and mirrors. So pre-scripted, yeah. Uh, and you know, some of the best comedians that, that I've engaged with are, are funny regardless of having prepared a joke. They're just have a wit about them. They're clever and they can turn something around. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in much the same way that a worship song is very constrained and therefore, um, has to rise above certain, um, and that they don't always do that. That's a completely separate conversation. Um, Christian comedians, the same thing, you know, you are, you are, you're constrained in many ways in terms of topically what you can speak about. And then some, uh, obviously some of the language that you should use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the people who are really good are <clears throat> extraordinary under any terms. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Robin Williams comes to mind. As a Christian comedian? No, as a comedian in general, I, like somebody who, oh. who, okay. I'm like, wait a minute. Sorry. No, I'm going back to just basic comedy. Yeah, like Mary Tyler Moore, Robin Williams, um, just people that they walk in a room and they have a presence. And, uh, yeah. You know, Mary Tyler Moore is different because she was, you know, well, it was her name on the show, but she was Mary Richards on the on her right. show. But she had to she had to actually maintain that good girl sort persona, of persona yeah. outside. And you wonder with some comedians, because I know, is it Bob Saget, who's just a total cuss bucket? Oh, yeah. When he's. Yeah, he's off. Oh, Yeah. <clears throat> so again, like I don't even want to watch anything he's in because I know the real Bob Saget and I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was actually just thinking this morning about things you and I could talk about and comedians was one of them because I've been, uh, you know, on Netflix, I, I tend to kind of get on the treadmill or whatever and I'll, and I'll watch comedians and, you know, I, I don't get offended too easily. Um, I can take a certain amount of language and stuff, but there's certain content that sets me off mm-hmm. and I'll just stop watching something, you know, if it goes a certain direction. But then I thought, well, let's not talk about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a comedian I want to tell folks about who's a good friend of mine. His name's Fred Klett. He's a clean comedian. He's a Christian uh, based out of Wisconsin, Chicago area. And um, I'll provide a link to him because mm-hmm. he's He's really funny. Um, I mean, just like mouth achingly funny. You, you don't find that very often in any comedian, let alone somebody who's completely clean. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll provide a link for him. Yeah, no, that's good. <clears throat> so what else is going on in the frequency world? I know um, just to let people know, I'm talking to 
uh, integrity artist, Greg Sykes, uh, hopefully this afternoon, if all goes well, um, who's, he's just a solid songwriter, musician, very lovable guy. Um, I believe he's actually a Syrian refugee, um, like from a, his family when he grew up is from Syria. Um, really? Yeah. And uh, I, I want to investigate that further because I, um, you know, when we're trying to interview folks, we, we want to get, you know, who they are in their background. Uh, I believe part of his story is that his family is are immigrants to Canada. Um, he also, you know, works and lives not far from where I used to live. So there's some contextual stuff that I get to ask him. Um, but even, you know, like we'll talk about Canada versus U.S. and how, you know, songwriting and, and you know, running a day job and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be, um, you know, the next interview that we have. Well, I can't wait to hear more about the the um, the refugee component of that. You know, one of the things that I have on my to-do list is to re-engage with Audrey Assad because her family was a uh, Syrian refugee. Yes. And she's um, she's very active uh, proponent of, you know, of supporting refugees. And, um, so yeah, uh, I'd be interested in how that conversation goes and maybe I'll reconnect with Audrey. It'd be, it'd be a timely conversation to have with folks. Uh, um, yeah. So yeah, man, I can't wait to hear that interview. Yeah. I mean, that's a hot button issue, you know, in Canada yeah. specifically, I know on both sides of the border, you know, for political reasons, um, more so just, just the way our culture is here because we are, so, you know, the doors are sort of a lot wider open in Canada than they are in the U.S. Um, yeah. Not necessarily because we're naive, but that's sort of our stance as Canadians and being multicultural. Um, maybe sometimes to a fault, but again, you know, that's that's just something that we have to work through as a nation. <clears throat> um, but yeah, and also uh, the, the last interview that I did, um, which uh, is this the the content of this interview uh, that we're going to share today is with Joel Vaughn, and Joel Vaughn um, has a unique story. Um, he's he's not a refugee, but uh, he actually Unless you count Texas as a foreign country. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> the reality of of this interview is is just letting it sink in that this guy lived in forty different places. And yeah. he walks sort of through the journey of being, you know, in family in the military. Um, and, and we, you know, we talk about his music and being in a record label and things like that. But um, anyways, that's that's what we're uh, focusing on today. And that's the um, the content of the interview that you're going to hear shortly. Well, should we just cut to the interview then? Because hey. we're 11 minutes in and people are probably tired of hearing us talk. <laughs> well, there you go. Let's dive right into the interview that I did with Joel Vaughn. So let's dive right in then for our listeners. Um, and again, the listeners of our podcast, US and Canada, Australia, England, like they're all over the map. They love hearing about new artists, which is why I love when I, I came across your profile, I don't even remember how. And mm. I I just thought, man, that's different. Uh, did you want to sort of give us a background of, of where you come from? I know the answers, but if you want to um, <clears throat> tell us where you're from, you know, sort of what your age is and your situation, just so that our, our listeners know who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I grew up in a um, uh, kind of a military family. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh, I was born in the southeast United States, so... Uh, born in South Carolina, Shaw Air Force Base, and then we just kind of moved around a whole lot. 
um, in the Southeast. So I, I grew up Mississippi, Alabama mostly uh, for the first uh, almost 15 years of my life. And uh, when I was a teenager, um, my parents, like a couple days before Christmas, gave us the um, information that, hey, by the way, we're moving to Texas. And I was like, uh, what? And <laughs> my brother and I, uh, our other three siblings had already, you know, grown up, moved out of the house. We were the youngest two um, of the bunch. And so my brother and my mom and my dad and I, we all moved to Dallas. Um, and while I was out there is where I kind of discovered, uh, my love for guitar. And I, I remember the place I was sitting when I first learned a G chord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anybody remembers that, if it was that special to them, but for me, it was kind of special. And, uh, I was 14, almost 15 years old. Um, and so that's, that's where I started, uh, uh, getting involved in, in worship. Um, because before that I had, I'd been singing in church since I was seven, but I've been, uh, doing the old school thing where, uh, since, uh, since I was seven, uh, doing the old school thing where, um, you take your cassette tape, not even CDs. We were either too broke or they just hadn't made it to Alabama yet. <laughs> they, they were probably there. We were probably just too poor. Um, and so, uh, I, I sang in church. Um, and I remember the first song I sang, uh, was a song by Clay Cross. If you remember that name, oh, yes, yeah. uh, it, it, yeah, it was a song called my places with you. And, uh, I just, I loved singing that song and I'm pretty sure I wore it out, but they always asked me to sing. So apparently they didn't, they didn't hate it. Um, <laughs> but I, I loved, I loved doing that. And so I, I, that was my introduction to music in church. Um, but I didn't get involved in worship till 2001. Um, and I got involved in a youth group for a very short time, for about <clears throat> six months, and then we moved again. Um, but this time we moved uh, uh, a couple hundred miles away, about six and a half hours away from Dallas to a, a little town uh, called Dimmit, Texas. And it's the funniest name for a town <laughs> in the yeah. world. And as you can imagine, the street, the city sign was vandalized pretty often. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, that, that's where my brother and I, um, we, we pretty much, this was 2001, we, we pretty much became the worship leaders uh, for our youth group and, and the worship band for our church because it was a tiny church, um, not less than 100 people. Um, and uh, when we weren't doing that, we were, you know, learning guitar, uh, listening to quote unquote secular music that our parents wouldn't let us listen to. Uh, <laughs> we were huge fans of, uh, the Goo Goo Dolls. And so oh, we, yeah. yeah, we, we learned, we learned to play guitar and drums listening to the Goo Goo Dolls in a, in a band called Vertical Horizon. And then when our parents were in the room, we listened to Sonic Flood, not to say that <laughs> we didn't like Sonic Flood. We loved Sonic Flood. We just at that time, we, we liked Goo Goo Dolls and Vertical Horizon more. Right. Um, and so, uh, we did that, and uh, that's that's really where I uh, kind of discovered my love for for worship, and not just um, music in general. And so, uh, we we were doing that there, and then we moved again uh, to a city, and I can't make this name up, called Truth or Consequences, New Mexico. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds so fake; it doesn't even sound real. Wow. Um, and uh, we <laughs> we we didn't have very many friends. We were in high school at this point. Uh, we, we kind of pulled out of public school and had done the homeschool thing. Um, and so we were homeschooled and so we had a lot of time on our hands. And so we just learned as much about music as we could. And that was 2002. My brothers and I started like working on recording on the computer, which back then was, you know, kind of a lot different than it is now. Um, you oh, yeah. know, the affordability, 
the affordability of recording music on your computer back then was was not very good. So we had the little Windows um, single and multi-track recorder thing uh, that we would uh, make songs and stuff on. And then we discovered this thing called Cakewalk. Oh, yes. Um, I remember that. Yeah. Sonar. I think it became Sonar at That's some right. point. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we used Cakewalk to, to make music. And uh, I, 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 uh, we just kind of grew from there. And then we moved back to Texas a year and a half later, as funny as that sounds. And I, I landed in a little town called Clarendon. And I, I tell you all this because it kind of sets everything up. Yeah, no, this um, is great. Uh, so when I was in Clarendon, Texas, a town of less than 2,000 people, um, I uh, met who the person who had become my wife, uh, and we were at a uh, uh, we, we were at uh, what was it called a college ministry. Uh, my dad was a pastor at a tiny church there in town for a short time, um, and it was our turn to bring food to the college ministry. And this was a couple hundred kids, and I saw. I saw her standing there on the stage and I was like, Oh, I bet she's dating the worship leader because, um, she was, uh, playing guitar and standing by him and t- come to find out he's like 15 years older than her. And, <laughs> and that, that was the case. Um, and so, uh, we came back a month later and, uh, I decided to not be chicken and, uh, <laughs> introduce myself to her. And then my brother and I promptly showed off and played, uh, the song name by the Goo Goo Dolls for oh, my, yeah, yeah. And, uh, she was clearly impressed, uh, much more <laughs> impressed than she should have been. Uh, and, uh, so she, uh, she kind of pursued me after that. I kind of threw the line and then she, she followed. And so, uh, should I interview yeah. her after for, to corroborate your story? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, she, she could probably, yeah, she, she, she would, she would say that this is all true. <laughs> <laughs> her name's Andrea, uh, correct? Andra. Yeah. yeah. A-N-D-R-A, she gets called all kinds of things, Andrea, Andra, Audra, but never Andra. And in yeah. fact, the funny part about that story is I thought her name was Kendra the first month and a half that I knew her. So <laughs> and she never corrected me, so it's not all on me. Um, right. But uh, she she kind of pursued me, and uh, I, I worked at the local Dairy Queen there in town, and uh, she would do things like throw sugar packets uh, on the – on the on the what do you call it the, the counter right and uh, she would say things like you dropped your name tag and I'd go oh that was clever that was clever <laughs> and so we started uh, dating January fifteenth of two thousand four and I I just knew I was only seventeen turning eighteen that year and I just knew that uh, she was the one that um, if if there is such a thing that there is a person who was the one I, I knew that was her and mm-hmm. uh, I. I I, I definitely still believe that today. Um, so we got engaged uh, a year after that, super early. Yeah. Her parents said, you're not getting married right now. And we were like, well, why not? We're adults. <laughs> Clearly, we thought we were um, older than we were. Right. And uh, I, I was in college for two years. She went to college for a year um, at West Texas A&M University, about an hour west of that town that we met in. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got married in 2006. Um, but before that, uh, we were involved uh, in a worship ministry at West Texas A&M uh, where it was a multi-denominational, I guess you could call it ecumenical, um, worship service. Um, and it, it was between, you know, 200 and I think as high as 500 at one point mm-hmm. uh, students. And we would set this thing up every Thursday night. It was volunteer 
Um, we did that for two years and it was fun, but it was, it was tough because I mean, we were doing like, <clears throat> I think at one, when we first started, we had 16 songs in one night and who does that anymore? Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a lot of music. A whole lot of music. So there was, so it was a whole lot to, that was a whole lot to deal with, but I, I, uh, I loved doing that. And then it came to a point where that had to come to a close and we got married in 2006 and I needed a real job and, uh, I, that was taking more time for me being able to get a real job. So I knew I wanted to be a worship leader and there was a church in town, um, that, uh, needed one. And so, uh, I transitioned from volunteer worship leader to, um, staff worship leader at, at a small church in Canyon, Texas, which is just South of Amarillo. Right. And, um, we, uh, we were at that church for two years and it, and it was a growing, uh, learning process uh, for me. And I, I learned, uh, how to do things by messing up a whole lot, <laughs> uh, Yes, yeah. a whole lot. And, and I would say that the same thing for when I was a volunteer worship leader, and I I'm very grateful for the time I had to be a volunteer worship leader for two years. Um, cause like th- there's a lot of things that I, I did as a night, 18, 19, 20 year old kid, um, that being a 30 year old man now, yeah. Uh, w- wouldn't fly. So I, I'm, I'm thankful that they gave me that opportunity and allowed me to uh, to share my gifts in that way and and to to learn how to lead others in, mm-hmm. in music that way. Yeah. Um. So at, at around 2006 2007, I, uh, I started. Well, I started writing my own songs in 2004, but they were about girls. They weren't really about Jesus. And so I started transitioning, um, writing music. I, I didn't really know, um, like. How, how do I write worship songs? How do I write songs uh, about God and about my faith, about how I'm feeling right now? Is it okay to write songs that are just about how I'm feeling and, and my relationship with God? Or do I have to write uh, something like uh, Rain Down or something like, does it have to be that way? Yeah. And so I, I didn't I didn't really know. Um, I, I knew that the songs of the 90s that I liked, like Clay Cross, My Places With You, they weren't what we would consider worship songs. And so... I, I grew up listening to music that was very introspective, and so because of that, uh, the lyrics that always came out were introspective, and I, I never did anything with them because I thought, oh, they're not very useful to the church. That's just something for me. Nobody really needs to hear that. Yeah, until like, like I realized, less, less congregational, you mean? Right, less yeah. less congregational. And so I, I, n- I never wrote congregational very well, but I'd always been a worship leader, mm-hmm. which uh, was such a strange thing. Um. And, and even now, I, I write very few worship songs. I, I wouldn't say I have any songs that that are worship songs that are very well known. Um, and if they are, they're well known in in Texas and by you know youth groups and people out there mm-hmm. uh, that I've led at camps. But um, so I, I started just I was like, you know what? What the heck? I'm going to go ahead and write um, these songs anyway. I, I'm going to write about what I'm going through. I'm going to write about my relationship with God and, and, and all that. And if people respond to it, people respond to it. If they don't, they don't fine. It's, it's one of those things where it's, uh, for me, it, it was, uh, it, it, it was, it was, it was a way to pursue healing in areas of my life. It was a way to, uh, talk to God. Mm-hmm. And so I started doing that and I didn't really, I kind of started leaking some of that music out there. I had a digital eight-track recorder, so I I kind of went backwards. I went from doing Cakewalk on my brother's computer yeah. to using a Fostex uh, VF80 multi-track eight-track recorder. <laughs> Actually, so, I I had a Yamaha MT8X eight-track tape recorder, so I know what you're talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Mine was probably a step up from that because mine actually had a hard drive. It had a well, the first one I had <clears throat> didn't have a hard drive. It had a compact flash uh, oh, card, yeah. and yeah, yeah and, it, and it had a grand total of two hundred. No, 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 no. That was the, that was upgrade. The first one I bought had a hundred and twenty-eight megabyte um, <laughs> card. So wow, I got so much from that. I I was at the point where really is is music really going to be recorded digitally? Come on, I mean the yeah. the tapes are are where it's at. That's where I was at back when I bought mine. <laughs> it was that decision time. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, I can't remember where I was tracking with that, but uh, so I started well, writing my. Oh, you I were remember. leaking out your your music. Yeah, I was le- leaking my music. So I I made you know like I I went to Best Buy. I got um, CD printing and uh, software and stuff like that and. I, I started printing off my own CDs and uh, I gave some away. I think I made like 30 or 40 of them. I sold some and I gave some away. Um, and there's only one of those left in existence. It wasn't very good, um, to be honest. And uh, But but I, I, I just had to do it. I had to get it out there. I had to know. Uh, but, you know, not very many people liked it all that much, but I liked doing it. And so I was like, you know what? I, I want to keep doing this. So I started building a home studio uh, even not really knowing what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> but I started building the home studio in 2007. Uh, and we bought a house and I got a garage and I started filling that garage with, with gear that like, you know, I, I saw that producers used, uh, by scouring the internet. Uh, but I didn't really know how to use myself. Yeah. And, uh, I, I filled that little garage up, uh, put instruments in there and I would make mediocre recordings and sit in there and make music and write all day long <laughs> until I was brave enough again to try and release another CD, which my in-laws believed in me enough and uh, gave me money to help me release this CD, uh, which also wasn't very good. And there are <laughs> copies of that. And I wish I could erase it, its existence, but I, I can't. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a part of my story, though. The songs were good. The, the quality, you know, wasn't. Um, but you might even argue that the songs aren't very good. Uh, but for me, they, they were good. Um, and so I, I, I did that and, uh, I, I transitioned to another church, um, uh, a larger church, uh, a couple years later in 2009. And so I was kind of still at home writing. I, I wasn't really pursuing being out on the road or anything like that, but I would do the occasional, uh, disciple now and I would lead camps and stuff like that, but I, I never like went for it. And so I, I, I did that. Um, for a couple of years. And, and in 2011, the church I was at, which was a pretty large church, mm-hmm. um, it, it was, you know, I guess for all intents and purposes, you could call it a mega church. It was more than uh, 2,000 members, but it was struggling. Yeah. And uh, we dipped down below 1,000 members. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, they had to lay off a, a lot of employees. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, man, I'm going to be, you know, I'm yeah. going to be one that I have to lay off. And then turns out like, well, no, actually you aren't. We really need you. And I was like, thank the Lord. I still have a job. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we ended up merging with another local congregation. Things were doing better. The church had just gone through some personal issues and pain with leaders. And it just hurt the church's image. And I was kind of caught in the crossfire of all that. Yeah. So uh, you, you weren't part of the pastoral leadership then. You were, you were sort of the technical ministry support staff, like would that be how it's classified? Well, no, I, I I came on actually as an intern for the worship pastor that was there at the time, and uh, he was let go within within six months of me being there. Okay, and I had had a surgery 
they they called me like two days after my surgery and they're like, hey man, we had to let such and such go. Um, we really need you to step up um, and kind of take the reins right now. And so I, I took the pastoral position uh, of uh, within a few months, um, they brought me on full time uh, and I was the worship pastor all of uh, 2010 and into 2011. And then we that's in 2011, January 2011 is when we merged with uh, with another local church body, a much bigger um, uh, church body. And uh, we went from being a church of, you know, 1500 to probably around 12,000 at the time. So I, wow. it, it was, it was, it was good, but it was kind of a shocker. You know, you go from leading worship at a church of, you know, three, 400 people yeah. to a church, of 1500 people to, uh, you're thrust into leadership when you're not ready for it from that to, Oh, now you are on staff at a church of, uh, 12,000. And it's even more than that. Now they have eight or nine campuses, I believe. Hmm, Um, so I, I did that. Um, but uh, a part of my story I didn't share in the beginning, um, was that, uh, things weren't always rosy and great for me at home. Hmm. Uh, when my dad retired from the air force in 93, we moved off base, moved into civilian life and uh, I was seven at the time and uh, I remember it was a year and we they didn't really know how to manage life I guess right uh, at that point and so they filed for bankruptcy and we lost everything okay um, so I, I knew what it was to have and I knew what it was to not have mm-hmm. uh, going from you know having things that we take for granted like transportation to not having transportation to having a home to not having a home. Right. Uh, and then having to shop at uh, literally thrift bread stores uh, where things were um, over past their, their date. And so we would go to those stores and buy open box food items kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- there was that. Uh, th- there were things going on at home that just weren't good. And so when I, when I was a kid, I, I kind of found myself uh, in, in – crossing paths with something that would later become an addiction for me. Um, and I, I tried to kind of deal with that on my own. It was too embarrassing. I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, suddenly fast forward to 2011, uh, I'm faced with, uh, the fact that I'm still off and on dealing with this, um, secret sin and this secret problem that just won't go away on its own and that I have no power uh, in and of myself to, to, you know, stop. And right. so I, I came out to the, uh, to the pastoral leadership at the time that, Hey, I have this problem. Yeah. I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I don't feel like I'm fit for leadership. It's been something I've been struggling with since I was 11. Yeah. And they were like, okay, uh, well, do you feel like you're fit to lead? And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, I remember, I remember that question. I kind of think it's funny that they even asked me that. Um, and so I, I quit my job that day Hmm. and I stepped away from music. I stepped away from worship and I decided, um, I wanted to get well, um, spiritually, physically, all of the above. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, everything had kind of taken a toll on me. I I went from weighing 125 pounds. I was super small in high school, uh, 25 pounds in high school to 230 pounds in 2010. Wow. And, I, uh, you know, you could, you could just see that something was wearing on me, but people couldn't quite put their finger on it, you know? Yeah. But I, I'd always put this front up. I'd always put up this wall and what worship became to me eventually was this way to keep people out. Yeah. Um, it was this, uh, wall of, well, 
he's got it all together because he's a worship pastor at a church or a well-known church here in town. And, you know, he's spiritually, he's, you know, he's got to be like, and, and I think people really thought that about me. And uh, it's not to say that I didn't love the Lord and it's not to say that I didn't uh, pursue him, mm-hmm. but it's, but they also, people don't realize that people are people and they have things going on, um, pain in their past that they, that they're dealing with. And I certainly had that. Well, and there's, there's nobody that walks into a church that doesn't, it's just some people don't like to admit it. That's the problem. Exactly. Right. So I, I, I quit. Um, they offered me a, uh, I mean, I guess you could look at it two ways. It, I, I, I either resigned before I got fired or I got fired. I don't know how you put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they walked me through a restoration process and a process of um, just a sabbatical because I've yeah. been doing music my whole life. Right. Um, and I, did, I didn't know who I was without music. And, um, and that, that was hard. Uh, I, I remember um, you know being at a, a large church like that. There was someone there to pick up the pick up the spot where I was, like you know, in a second. And so, um, when I when I bowed out, someone stepped up to the plate and took my place, and that was hard for me to internalize. Uh, mm-hmm. And then realizing I may never be a worship leader again. I may never sing outside of my house again. Um, and I'm still at this point finishing my college degree. Um, my daughter was born that year. Uh, so I, I just had a lot of what ifs and I was like, you know what? I, I, I don't care anymore. I, I want to be well. Um, if Mm -hmm. I have to lose it all, um, it's better than losing my life. It's better than losing my kids. It's better than losing my spouse. Mm -hmm. Um, if I have to lose my job and lose my reputation to, uh, to follow Christ, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And then I did that. You know, that, that I, I wish I could say that that was like the rosiest process and that like birds from heaven descended down upon me. And <laughs> uh, but but it wasn't easy. It was hard. Yeah. Um, hardest thing I've ever done. And uh, for two years, uh, I, I stayed in counseling for 18 months um, and I just worked on the, the church was gracious enough. They gave me another job just working on computers. And that's, that's all I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would swap hard drives. I would swap out memory. I would fix the check-in stations. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so I was responsible for that and, uh, fixing, uh, computers that, uh, people would come to me and say, the internet box told me to download this extra toolbar. And I'm like, that was a virus. Uh, let me, <laughs> Let me just take this from you and never give it back again. So I did that. <laughs> I did that, and uh, I love it when I, you insert the uh, the local accent too. That's that's what makes it effective. <laughs> oh man, it's it's a real thing. It's it's not it's not even fake. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm just surprised I wasn't born with a thicker accent than I actually have. Uh, yeah. Or not born, or you know, because growing up in Alabama and Texas, um, I'm either suppressing it heavily or it just didn't take. I don't know. Well, even um, as a but, as a Canadian listening to you, you have less accent than Joe from you know with a Portlandian accent. You're yeah, it's and it's not even Nashvilleian. <laughs> yeah, I well, it's it's not anything Illian because yeah. I, I lived in forty like moving to Nashville was the fortieth move I've ever made. Wow. Uh, so I've I've lived in Oklahoma, New Mexico, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina, um, which is a lot of places to live before you're 18 years old. It so, is, yeah. so anyway, I, I did that and, uh, 
couple years into that, um, I had a, a team of guys that I met with every week and, uh, and, and a worship pastor I met with every week. They came to me and they were like, hey, man, we've just seen some radical changes in you, not just physically, because I, I had lost like 100 pounds. Uh, yeah. And that I attribute to getting myself in a place spiritually that allowed me to do that uh, because it, it was like I was fighting for my life. It wasn't just, yeah. oh, I want to be skinny again. I, I was fighting for my life because, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'd had a health scare the year before um, that that nearly killed me, uh, mm. quite frankly. And I and that's uh, when we decided we want to have kids and like I, I want to see them grow up. I want to get healthy. And so yeah. this was kind of this was like the the last push into that. And so. I lost a uh, hundred pounds, nearly. Like spiritually, uh, was on a, on a high. I, I looked back at where I'd come from and saw the valley, and like saw purpose in the valley, um, even though it, it stunk to be there. It was it was awful. Um, and then they asked me if I would uh, not come back on staff as a worship leader at that point, but to um, start leading worship uh, at my old campus again. And I was like, yeah, I, I would love to do that. I, you know, I've kind of been like playing piano at home, uh, so I'm kind of rusty, but I, I don't, <laughs> I haven't really sung in two years, not on a platform of any kind. And so they were like, it'll, you know, take care of itself. We believe you're ready. And so mm -hmm. they brought me before the church um, and kind of reinstated me, uh, not as a staff worship leader, but as a, a volunteer yeah. And uh, I was just happy to do that again because it wasn't my job. Uh, it, it was just something I could give back. Yes. And they had been talking about, you know, is Joel going to come back on staff and uh, as a worship pastor or not? And so I was like, I, I, t I was talking to my wife and this is 2013. And let's pray like if this is what God wants us to walk through, if this is what uh, God wants for us to be worship pastors here at our church again, then uh, let's let's pray that he opens the doors like and just blows them wide open. But if not, that he slams them in our face. And that was kind of a naive prayer because, you know, a couple of weeks later, all of a sudden from where I could do no wrong, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden I, I could do wrong. And, and just uh, things were misunderstood and, and taken the wrong way. And all of a sudden, like that door closed. Like I remember praying that prayer fervently um, several times and like they, they pretty well slammed in my face. And mm. I was like, what in the world just happened? I was here on the mountaintop and now I feel like I'm in the valley again. What did yeah. I do? You know? Yep. Um, and it, it wasn't cleared up until, you know, months later there were some misunderstandings and people made apologies and they were, other people were sad for me. And, uh, church, it, it church all, can get really messy sometimes. It, it really can. It really can. And not by anyone's fault, except for that we're human beings. Yeah, and that we're um, sinners saved by grace. But yeah, for periods of time, for whatever reason, circumstances happen and, and people, for whatever reason, decide to, to rest in themselves and not in the Lord. And yep. Yeah, and stuff can happen because we're human <laughs> beings, right? Absolutely. And so that's kind of where I fell into my music career. Uh, 2013, I was like, well, I don't have a job anymore. I've got to do something. And so I picked up a job <laughs> at the worst possible place, another church across town that heard that, like, I think they were kind of head hunting. They were like, wait, Joel's available. And so they hired me. <laughs> uh, and I was there for six months and that didn't work out because it was more of a, a communications uh, director type position. And I, I just figured out, like, I have a degree. At this point, I had finished my degree. I have a degree in communication, but this is not what I want to do with my life. I, yeah. I am not. Uh, good at this. And so uh, I, I ran into a guy 
uh, I don't really remember how he met or how he got my number, but he called me and was like, you know, God told me. And when people say that to me, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, God told you. What did he tell you? (laughs) Uh, But he told me uh, that God had told him that I need to be there writing and recording. And if I ever want to do a whole album, not to worry about the cost, that he'll take care of it. And I was like, uh, what? You know, I kind of like didn't call him back for two months because I was like, "I've, I've been told that before. And people give me money to go record things and um, that, that there's some ulterior motive usually. And there wasn't. Yeah. Yep. I called him back. I was like, hey, can I just come in and write? And he was like, sure. And so, you know, he approached me again and I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, turned into a year of writing and recording songs um, at his place and just kind of processing uh, and healing. I I was processing that. I was kind of, I got kind of bitter because I was like, God, I thought you wanted me to be a worship leader. I thought I went through all of this because this is what you wanted me to do. And, you know, you you made all this possible for me to get healing. My relationship with my wife is stronger than it's ever been. Um, Things, and then all of a sudden it just kind of crashes on me. Like what happened? And then I remembered, like, I had prayed that prayer several months before, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm such an idiot. Um, God is kind of pushing me in the direction, I think, of what, where he wants me to go. And so I started writing and recording at the studio, and that became uh, the first indie EP I had done in four years. Um, and that In recalled, The Waiting? Yeah, that was called In The Waiting. Yeah. And uh, th- those were all songs um, that uh, I, I wrote while I was processing everything I was going through for the two-year sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Um, and those songs, while, you know, um, probably aren't the best songs I've ever written, um, and we, we were, all, me and the engineer, uh, my friend Steven, uh, you know, we were still kind of figuring out this whole recording thing. He had way more educational than I did. Right. Super smart, super intelligent guy. Um, but I was still kind of figuring out like what I wanted things to sound like, but I really didn't care as much about the sound as much as I cared about the message. Right. And so message wise, I, I, I just wrote about, uh, what I had been through in my life and, and I'd hoped that, you know, wherever this music, however it was heard, because it was an indie release that it would speak to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began touring towns in Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma. Um, and just like, you know, people started calling me out of nowhere. I'm like, Hey, will you come lead worship for our event? Will you come to our youth camp? Will you come do this? And like, I, it wasn't anything I was manufacturing or putting together. It's just like out of the blue, this thing just kind of started. Um, and so I, I started like traveling around, um, uh, started hiring people to be in my band and, uh, we, we traveled, uh, you know, the tri-state area and, uh, it grew from tri-state area to states outside of our state to like Indiana, mm, uh, yeah. to California. And, um, in that process, I met two guys, two Swedish dudes, um, <laughs> Jonathan and David Tulane. Jonathan, if, if you don't know, he, he was in the Christian music industry for, you know, for all his life really. But, uh, his, his, uh, debut wasn't really until 2013 when he got his first number one single on chr and i had never heard of him before until uh you know 2013 and i remember hearing a song on the radio and hearing his behind the music and and hear him talking and i was like whatever he made that up for marketing kind of thing (laughs) yeah Uh, i remember hearing it on 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 the the one big station we all know uh and so uh what's funny is like after I, i remember driving in the car uh and, and Canyon and, and hearing that and going, you know, whatever. And then 
Um, I saw some dude post that he was looking for a, a gig in Texas. I didn't know who he was, didn't realize it was the same person I just heard on the radio. Mm-hmm. And so I was all about helping people um, get connected in our area. And I was like, hey, dude, like, I don't really know you, but uh, there's a place here in this town that you could play. Um, and, you know, he kind of explained to me what he needed. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. We can get that. I was like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I need another gig, too. Why don't I open for you? And he was like, cool. And so uh, we did this show together. I opened for him and uh, he was clearly impressed and was like, hey, uh, why aren't you signed? That was his you know, first question. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, because that's not really anything I'd ever really pursued. It's not something I, I thought I would ever really want to do. Um, yeah, he's got I, a pretty active SoundCloud page and, and like different episodes of and he's more like EDM and stuff <laughs> like that, right? Yeah, well, that's his brother, David. Oh, OK. Uh, OK. Yeah. Jonathan is more on the pop side. Uh, or C-H-R-A-C pop kind of thing. Right, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I, I was like, I don't know, dude. And he was like, well, I want you to come record with us. And I was like, man, I just got done with an album. Uh, I, I don't really, and, I, and what was funny is an, another person from another well-known band had reached out to me at the same time. And I told him about that. And uh, so people were taking notice of me in the industry. And so I was like, what does this all mean? What am I supposed to do, you know? Yeah. And uh, so... Well, that's a question uh, a lot of artists want to know is how in the world do you break in? But it's yeah. not it's not by sending off tapes and waiting for them to send you a letter in the mail saying you're in. Right. right. It's, you're, you're on the road. You're doing stuff. You're offering gigs up. You're meeting people. You're doing the grind. Uh, and, and really, there wasn't any purpose in the grind. I was perfectly happy and fine with being uh, a Texas band where we just went and did – um, Disciple Nows, and I, I had a part-time at, at this point. I had a part-time job um, working at a, at a at a church. Um, they this is what was so crazy. At the same time that that guy uh, told me that he wanted me to uh, record my album, uh, you know, free essentially. Yeah. Um, a few months after that, like six months after that, I got offered a job to make a full-time salary and just show up three weekends a month, not be like at the church body. And I was like, man, I just don't feel like I don't feel right taking that. And they're like, no, we really believe that we're supposed to do this for you. And we really believe that you're supposed to pursue a music career. Um, so come do this and pursue, you know, healing for whatever happened to you and your wife at this church. Um, uh, and you know, whenever it's time for you to go to Nashville, it's time for you to go to Nashville. And I was like, what? And so, uh, we, we did that. I, I took them up on their offer after they had thrown the offer, you know, uh, for two months and and we did that and uh, they were they were faithful to it they they didn't throw it in our face when we uh, told them hey you know we're we're moving to Nashville soon yeah um, and so I met Jonathan and then I started recording with them in the fall of 2014 and uh, I I was like I got I, I was like this is crazy I just finished an album um, I don't really know why I'm doing this but I just have this gut feeling that I'm supposed to do this and mm-hmm. I don't know what that means but I'm I'm gonna go do it. there you go, Joe. Uh, that's part one, really, of our, our uh, I think we're going to have a two-part interview with Joe Vaughn, mostly because of the content of uh, his story and then leading into what he's up to today, being under Dream Label Group and what it means to be an artist in the music industry now, you know, with radio and touring and travel and expenses and what it looks like to be an artist in uh, the 21st century. So that'll be part two of the interview, and we hope you enjoyed part one, learning more about 
um, sort of the inside story of who Joel Vaughn is. I think it's good for folks to hear kind of that run up to, you know, that journey to becoming an artist because, you know, you know, Joel isn't a household name yet, but uh, having been signed, you know, he's going to pop up on people's radar and it'll seem like he came out of nowhere. And, and yet the challenges that he's experienced as an individual, let alone as an artist, uh, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's good for all of us to, to recognize that you can't just objectify an artist as that is all they do uh, yeah. and not recognize there's a, there's humanity behind that. There's relationships, there's community, there's um, stepping out in faith. Um, you know, the, 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 the idea that somebody would approach you and say, God's told me that you need to record with me, hmm. you know? Uh, and I think my response would have been similar to his, which is <laughs> you're insane. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's do it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it's interesting. You're talking about not a household name yet, but you know, he got um, invited onto this Nashville scene show, um, not even knowing that, you know, it's going to be uh, Danny Goki as the host. Right. And when I asked, I asked him about it, he's like, dude, I had no idea, you know? So <clears throat> that, that just shows you that um, there's no guarantees of anything in the music industry, even so much as to say after our interview, and we had already talked about the realities of, you know, the, expense of having to produce the music himself even under a label and he talks about that in part two um but also just just um the reality that he needs to have a day job that's flexible and he's not it's not beneath him to be a a typical stereotypical barista at a coffee shop right to to make ends meet so you know and and i would say he he's actually picked a good genre for nowadays with 80s pop sort of coming back and edm music and and Dream Label Group has a lot of those guys in their label. So he's got a lot of good guys to work with. Uh, but I would say um, at the same time, like you were saying, he's still versatile enough. He comes from Texas. Um, he's got that sort of the country background in his blood, you know, played it as a young kid, worship leader in church, always uses an acoustic guitar, ironically, when he leads, yet he's a pop, uh, pop rock singer. Right. So even how to perform that live is a totally different dynamic than right. just grabbing your acoustic and playing a few songs. So, no, it's interesting conversation, and I look forward to uh, sharing part two next time. Oh, there's going to be a next time we're going to do another episode? Of course. Oh, uh, it's got to end sometime, Dan. we got to <laughs> anyway. talk more, Joe. we got to talk more. Well, at some point we meet, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure people are sick of hearing that. But maybe, maybe that Toronto songwriters thing that we were talking about earlier today, maybe, maybe, maybe that's it. Flying yep, on a Friday, yep. spend a day, jet lagged, doing nothing, fly back on Sunday. Such a glorious life, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, and then I go back to work on Monday, completely wasted in a, in a tired sense, not in a, um, or, <laughs> not in an Oregon marijuana is legal sense. Um, it's not that kind of podcast. <laughs> no, but those were out there. Um, and, and yeah, Hey, by the way, my, it's my daughter's birthday and I know she doesn't listen to the podcast. Happy birthday, much. Marissa, but happy birthday, Marissa. I love you. She's 23 years old. She's uh, living in Massachusetts now. Okay. She's working at great wolf lodge as a, a lifeguard. Wow. You know, so that's, it's pretty exciting there, you know, that'd be a, so, good on you child. That'd be a fun place. Hey, she's working. Uh, yes. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> spoken, spoken <laughs> like true fathers. Well, on, on that note, That's a on that note, we should end it for now. But uh, thanks for tuning in. We're glad you're here with us. Um, 
and uh, be sure to you know subscribe to us if you're a, a soundcloud user um connect with us there we we typically post first to soundcloud and then share it on our website and social feeds so um track with us on soundcloud.com or you can connect with us on twitter frequency fm or on facebook as well frequency fm and uh, visit us on our website frequency.fm we'd love to hear from you